on. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, come on, man. We have, man, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of football. And so when you put football and Jesus together, I'm like, yes, that's a good day, man. I love, I love football. I love football. Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday, man. And you might not be playing in the game, but that's okay because we can still celebrate with them, man. Super Bowl Sunday, you probably know this or maybe you don't. It is the largest viewed sporting event in the nation. This year, they estimate 100 million people tuning in to watch the Super Bowl. That's crazy when you think about it, man. 100 million people. That's a lot of people tuning in to watch the Kansas City Chiefs against the... That's crazy. I didn't think we had any Chiefs fans. What? That's crazy. Against the San Francisco 49ers, right? And so... Okay, I'm surprised. Wow, my gosh, right? And so, uh, but Kansas City, when you, when, you really, when you really think about it, Kansas City has a lot more to lose because what does Kansas have to offer? Nothing. nothing. Ain't nothing in Kansas. So I'll, I'll, I'm sure the governor, the mayor of whatever city they're in, you know, I, I'm the, you better win, right? They got to bring the Vince Lombardi trophy home to Kansas. Give Kansas something to be proud of, right? Come on. And so, so it's, a, it's a big, big deal. Well, we participate in that, man. We are a part of what's happening. We are, are really, if you think about it, the people are the super part in Super Bowl, man. I mean, come on. We have big parties. There's all sorts of things that happen. I want you to just to listen to a couple of these statistics on how Consumers really participate in Super Bowl Sunday. Today, this evening, maybe you got started already, but roughly 28 million pounds of chips will be eaten today. 28 million pounds of chips. You're already reconsidering how many pounds of chips you are contributing to that. It's like, Bro, I put in a serious three pounds of chips. He's like, I gotta, I gotta cut that down. I mean, my gosh, right? Come on, 28 million pounds of chips. Check this out. Today, this evening, this evening, one of my favorite Super Bowl foods, chicken wings, right? Come on. Yeah, I'm all about them chicken wings. Guess how many chickadees are gonna be eaten today? 1.25 billion chicken wings will be eaten tonight, right? So it's like, I would imagine as, as turkeys dread Thanksgiving, chickens dread the Super Bowl, right? And so it's like 1.25 billion chicken wings. That's a lot of chicken wings. I just wonder what they did with the rest of the chicken. The legs, the thighs, and the breast. What happened to that, man? We're only concerned about the chicken wings, right? Let's check this out. Eight million pounds of guacamole will be eaten tonight. Eight million pounds of guacamole will be eaten tonight. And these are only a few of the stats of what's going to be eaten. They didn't get the Latino population on here that are going to be trumping down some trompo tacos, some tacos de fajita, some tacos de bistec. They didn't get that in here, man. They didn't know how many how many of tacos are going to be killed. But all we got, the closest we got to making the list was guacamole. And it's like, all right, that's okay. I feel like I contributed a little bit of that. I mean, at least a pound of that is uh, is coming from us. Check this out. Today, we will spend, or this for this weekend in preparation for it, we will have spent $17.2 billion on food, beverages, merchandise, and party supplies. That's a lot of monies, right? That's a, that's a lot of money, man. $17.2 billion are being invested into this. So when they say Super Bowl, man, we are participating in what's happening tonight as we get to watch, man, some of the best of the best make it. And just to put it into perspective a little bit on how good these people are, I, I really believe, man, there's been that in seasons past where I was like, oh, man, the two teams that made the Super Bowl, I really didn't think they were the best. This year, I really do, man. Whether you're a homie with Mahomes or you're all the way for Garoppolo, I don't know what that is. 
is. But let me tell you something, man. It, I, I believe we are seeing the two best teams in the NFL playing tonight. Man, I really do. Well, check this out. Just so you put in perspective of how good these people are, man. We are really watching the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Over one million kids play high school football. Every, every year, over a million kids play high school football. Of that group, only 6% of the high school seniors will ever play football in college. It doesn't say they'll get a scholarship. It says they'll, they'll ever play in college. Man, only 1 in 16 will ever make it to the collegiate level. Of those seniors, we only see 1.7 of senior football players will ever get drafted to the NFL. So you're looking at, at that number, once you boil that down, the one in 50 in college will get drafted to the NFL. And the average NFL career is only 3.3 years long, unless you're Tony Romo and they're just giving you epidural after epidural and they're sending you out there because you're our only hope, you know, Romo, come on, you got to make this thing happen. But it's crazy to think that, man, we're watching people who are at the best of their best in their craft. And you guys might, know this, might not know this about me or not, but I had a pretty promising football career, according to my parents, especially my mom, right? <laughs> That's funny, man. When you're, the oldest, when you're the oldest Hispanic boy, mijito, you can do anything. Mijito, you're the best. There's nothing that you can't do. And so my parents made me feel like I was a million bucks every time I played. So I was a starter my eighth grade year in a high school at defensive end. Yes, right? And so, uh, so the coaches were, were all like, man, you know, we need a spot for you in high school, man. The, the high school coaches are already asking about you. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. When we end the season, when you go from your eighth grade into your freshman year of high school, we need you working out in the summer. I said, all right, I'm going to work out in the summer. So I was doing my push-ups. I was doing my sit-ups. I was trying to do some pull-ups, right? But the problem is I really like tacos too, right? So I was kind of like chubby fit. You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, it was like five push-ups, one taco, right? And that's kind of like the way it was. So I got into high Some people are laughing a little too hard at that. So I, was, I get into high school, and, and we're, we're there to meet the coaches, and, and we're going to do our physical, and we're just going to get to know everybody. And, and uh, so, so we show up, me and my dad, and we get there, and we open the door. And when I walked in that field house, I was like, what just happened? Like, I stepped in the land of giants. I was like, oh, my gosh, people had facial hair, tattoos, carrying kids. I was like, what is going on here? Are you in high school? He's like, yeah, I'm a freshman. I was like, are you kidding? How many kids do you have? Three. You know, I was like, what? I was like, are you kidding, man? They're working out child care, getting family tickets to the games. Like, what is going on here? I walked in there, and I might not be skinny. I might not be tall, but I, I might not be that good looking, but I'm really not dumb, right? And so I walked in, and I looked at my dad, and I said, we ain't doing this. No, sir. They're going to kill me. And he's like, I agree, son. So that day, I announced my retirement from football at Whataburger to my parents. And so you're looking at a dream that could have been, right? And so in my mom's eyes, I'm still the best, right? And so in my mom's eyes, you could be there, mijito. You could be playing. And so in my mom's eyes, man, there's nothing I can't do. But when you, when you really look at it, man, we're looking at some of the best of the best that have ever played the game, man. I mean, some of the, they, they, they are in there this week. So as you watch that and you watch these people play, marvel at the fact that you're looking at some of the best that, that, that are on the field, the best that are alive right now. The title of today's message is called Throw the Flag. Look to the person next to you, throw the flag. I guarantee you tonight, you will hear somebody yell from across the room, throw the flag, because they don't like the call that's been made. Or they don't like the call that hasn't been made. Come on, the unsung heroes in the Super Bowl 
are the NFL referees, right? Come on. When you think about it, I, I didn't know this. I started doing some research on the NFL referees. Man, they make a bonus to, to ref in the, in the Super Bowl as well. They're, they're estimated because they're so tight-lipped on the, on the referee system. They're estimated to make $50,000 just for this game for a couple of hours. It's crazy. The only time we ever really notice the NFL referees is when they blow a call. That's the only time you even know they're alive, right? And everybody, this has got to be a horrible job because nobody really likes you all the time. No one likes you all the time. You throw a flag, somebody's booing you, and the other one's cheering you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because you, play, you, you have to do this thing. You have to protect what's happening here. And we see that the main job of an NFL referee really boils down to one simple fact. It boils down to this right here. Their job is to maintain order, and to ensure the safety of the players. That's it. And maintain order and ensure the safety of the players. Our key scripture this morning comes out of Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. And it reads like this. It says, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. It says, catch for us the small foxes that ruin the vineyards. Because we all know and we can all identify the big foxes that are getting in. We can all identify the big problems that we have in our lives. Those are easily identifiable. But it's the small things that we say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. I don't need to focus on that. That's really, you know what, that can wait until tomorrow. That can wait. I really got to put this fire out. He's saying right here, it's the small foxes that come in and ruin the vineyards. Man, I've got in my hand a flag given to us by a brother in the church named Andre, who spent a season of his life as an NFL referee. And for his safety, we have left him anonymous, right? And so because the NFL referee that blew the call last year in the NFC Championship between the New Orleans Saints and the Rams was receiving death threats, right? And so because we take our football very serious, right? And so this man, they had to transport him to three different hotels to change his flights just to ensure this man's safety. We see in the NFL, the job of the referee is to, is to keep order and to ensure the protection of the players. The majority of the calls that they make in the NFL are not major calls at all. You would think maybe you've got some past interference, you've got some, you know, some unsportsmanlike conduct, you've got a face mask, come on, you've got all these things. It's actually holding. That is a major call in the NFL, offensive holding. That is the most called, it's the most thrown flag in all of the NFL. When you look at it and you, and, and you come back and you say, well, why is that really the most thrown flag? You know, what, what is it? When it's seemingly a very small infraction. No one was hurt. No one was hurt by holding. No, no one was injured. Nothing like that. You, you, it didn't really impede the play all that much. The play was going the other way. That, that really had no bearing on what was happening here. But it is the most called or most thrown flag in the NFL. It is the most thrown flag in the whole NFL. And I bet that if the NFL referee, his job, remember, his job is to maintain order and ensure protection. I would imagine that if he didn't throw those holding flags as often as he did, I mean, these players would get a little out of control. And what we, once he once had control over is now being lost. See, I believe every person in here has a calling and a purpose ordained by God. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what lies have been spoken over, that you were an accident, you're the product of a one-night stand. Man, you, you remind me of the relationship that I used to have. You remind me of so much of your dad, and, and he, that might be a negative connotation of where you're at. I believe that every person in here is called according to God's purpose to fulfill his purposes and his destinies. And it is our job to protect that 
calling. I believe in our lives, we're similar to a referee. We play that role. To maintain godly control and to ensure the protection of our destiny, of what God has called us to. A lot of times we'll have a singular focus on what our purpose is. That our purpose is only really affects us. That if I can get a bigger house, then people will see how the Lord has blessed me. If I can drive a nicer car, then I can see how the Lord has blessed me. If I can go to the next tax bracket, then people will see how the Lord has blessed me. That's a singular focus, and I believe 100% every one of those things. But I also believe that people see your life. When I say you have a calling and a purpose ordained by God, that doesn't mean that you need to set sail for, for China and go over there and try to lay hands on everybody that's got the coronavirus. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is maybe some of you are called to ministry, but maybe some of you are called to just be amazing dads who raise their kids to love the Lord. Or maybe you're called to be a nurse and in that hospital when everybody else is speaking negativity over people, you're the only one that's in there that's speaking life over people. Maybe you're called to be an amazing teacher and you got that kid in your classroom who the only time anybody ever speaks anything positive over him are those eight hours that he's with you in that classroom. Come on, man, I believe that each and every one of us have a calling and a purpose ordained by God. And he's given it to us to be a steward over. We have to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us. Man, we really kind of play that role in our lives to maintain godly control. Come on, man, and to ensure the protection of our calling. And we see that it's the small foxes that spoil the vines. It's those little things that get in there. It's the holding calls that we say, man, that really wasn't that big of a deal. I don't want to stop play. I mean, when the referee throws the flag, everything stops. It all stops. And if they get it wrong, man, they got to eat crow. And they got to go and they say, look, we blew it. I'm sorry. This is not it. But the whole game stops. The momentum of what's happening, everything stops. And they say, well, it was only a holding call. But let me tell you something, man, that holding call, Man, the way that guy's been playing, man, that thing's only leading to worse stuff. I've got, a, I've got a good friend of mine who's in my life. Man, we got saved around the same time together. Started serving God the same time together. Going to the same church. And he had come out of a, of a similar background that I had. And, and, and he, he enjoyed partying. He enjoyed getting out there and, and drinking and all this stuff. And when we got together, we said, hey, man, look, dude, we're not going to do those things anymore. That's not going to be who we are anymore. And so, man, we, we were real good friends, man. The Lord began to bless him, and, and, and I ended up getting married, and, and he was still single for a few years, and so we didn't see each other that much anymore. And so, and so he ended up getting married a couple of years later, and we would keep up with each other on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, but we would always get together once a year for his birthday. That was our tradition. We'd always see each other once a year. It didn't matter where we were at. It didn't matter what we had going on. We'd always come together for his birthday in October. It was about three years into it, man, and I began to kind of follow him on, on Instagram and stuff and began to see that him and his wife were drinking a little more and more and more. And then he was going out by himself, and, and he was drinking more and more. And we would talk on the phone, we would text, whatever, and I'd just be like, how are you doing, man? He's like, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing good. My business has exploded, man. We actually acquired another business. He was a partner in, in this major firm. I mean, they had the perfect life. They had the perfect life, it looked like. Man, they had an awesome, amazing house. Before Chip and Joe was this guy, I mean, their house was incredible. I mean, he was a designer, and so the house looked phenomenal. They had two luxury SUVs. She drove a G-Wagon. He had a Range Rover. I mean, they had it in the drive. It was like, oh, my gosh, bro, you seem to have it all. The Lord is blessing you. They got pregnant, and about two years into their marriage, they had an awesome little boy. And we were getting together more and more. Last time we had gotten together for his birthday, 
Last time we'd gotten together, man, I saw him at the end of the table. And he was, he was kind of, he was drinking, man. He was more beers in than I had ever seen him be into. And his excuse was, it's my birthday, bro. It's my birthday. And I began to see things in him that I hadn't seen in a long time. I mean, the way he was flirting with waitresses, the way he was taking pictures with people, the way he was carrying on. I sat him down the next day and I said, hey, bro, man, I'm just a little concerned for you, man. What's going on? He's like, bro, I got it, man. I got it. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. A couple years later, I get a phone call from him. He's crying on the other line. Me, me, me and the family were getting ready to go do something. I said, I said, Myrna, let me grab this real quick. I get it. He's crying. I said, what's going on, bro? What's going on, man? Do you need me? I'm there. What do you need? He says, man, I'm in a hotel room right now. He said, my wife kicked me out. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back this thing up, dude. What's going on, man? He said, no, a couple years ago when you were telling me about, about drinking. He said, yeah. He said, dude, you really convicted me on that. He said, so I had kind of stopped, dude. I, I had seen where I was getting sloppy. My wife had brought it up to me. Bro, well, when you came in here, bro, and you called me on it, he says, dude, it really spoke to me. He said, so I kind of stopped, and we, we, we kind of calmed down with what we were doing. He said, but then we had the baby. He said, and, and, uh, and it, things just got a little stressful. He says, Monday night football, the cow, Cowboys were playing, and, and I wanted to watch the game. And, and my wife said I could go down to a restaurant and watch the game or whatever. He said, so I sat there at a booth watching the game. He said, ordered, ordered my, my food, man. Didn't order any drinks, anything, man. Just drinking Dr. Pepper, watching the game. He said, I was done with my, I was done with my food. The waiter had picked it all up. I was just sitting there sipping on a Coke, and I was going to leave at halftime. He said, uh, he said, the waiter came by and asked me, hey, man, can I get you a beer? He said, man, had the waiter not come up to me and asked me, man, I wouldn't have drank that night. He said, the waiter came up to me and said, you want a beer, man? Can I, can I bring you one? He said, sure, man, bring me a beer. He said, he said, Jonathan, one beer led to two, two to three. He says, I'm sitting there watching the game. There's this lady sitting at the end of the bar. She's cutting eyes at me the whole time, all throughout the night. He said, so I, I finished what I was doing, man. It was halftime. I was getting ready to leave. He said, I was going to go to the restroom. He said, so I got up and I walked right past her. On my way back, I knew she was going to say something to me. He says, I knew I had a choice to respond or not. He says, that lady stopped me. We struck up our conversation. He says, and I left with that lady from that restaurant to her apartment. Had a one-night stand with her. So I don't know her name. She flew out the next morning. She was in town on business, bro. He says, I lost my whole marriage over it. I said, bro, are you kidding, man? Are you kidding me? He's like, no, man. His wife divorced him, left him, and took half of everything that he had. But when you bring it back, all the way back to where we started, man, it's the small foxes that spoil the vines. But what seemed to be a seemingly small thing that he was doing. Me, me and my wife have, having a glass of wine together when, when we have dinner. That thing grew and grew and grew. He knew that was a weak spot in his life, but he let that thing go. He let that thing continue to go on and go on and go on and go on until those little foxes spoiled his vine. Till those little foxes came in and eventually took it over. Till finally he got to the spot where he's like, I don't know what to do this anymore. This is too big. If he would have just been bold enough and brave enough at the very beginning to throw the flag in and say, bro, I need you, Jesus. I need you in this situation. I need my small group leader. I need someone to pray for me here. And now I see it getting out of control right here, right now. Stop the game. Everything that's happening. Let's review what's going on right here. If he would have done that, his situation would have ended up totally different. But at the end of it all, we were staring at a completely different situation. Guys, let me tell you something. I mean, you have been entrusted with your purpose, with your destiny. Come on, you've been entrusted. The Lord has given you the power to say, hey, look, Lord, anytime you need to, you throw in the flag and I'm there with you, man. 
You got small group leaders and people all around you who love and believe in you, who are waiting for you to say, hey man, I need some help because guess what? We're not gonna impose ourselves in what you're doing. The beauty about Christianity is free will. We get to choose him or we get to reject him. He doesn't force himself on us. We get to choose that. And so the Lord is waiting for us. Man, I'm ready, bro. As soon as you throw in that flag, I'm right there. I'm ready, man, as soon as you throw in that flag. But we have to be throwing it on the small things. Man, you can't wait until it's a big thing. You say, hey, look, man, because guess what? By that time, things seem to be out of control. We see in Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in a similar situation. Something crazy is happening in Mark chapter 4. And we'll pick it up right here in verse 35. It says, the, the day that, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. They're talking about Jesus just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So we got one boat right here. We've got one boat. Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, we're gonna go to the other side. They're in the Sea of Galilee. The the disciples come from a background. Most of them were fishermen. And so they're very familiar with what's going on right now. Jesus's boat has Jesus and 12 other men for a total of 13 people on Jesus's boat. And they've got other people with them. As the disciples are leading and they're taking Jesus across to the other side to continue about the Lord's business. We pick it up right here in verse 37. It says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet and be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See what happens right here is they're going across to the other side. The disciples are in a very familiar situation. They're in a very familiar spot in their life. Come on, isn't that when the enemy loves to hit you? When you're comfortable, when you're familiar, and when you know your environment really, really well. And they're going across to the other side. Jesus goes down, man, he's taking a nap. He trusts fully in the disciples. They trust fully. They've got Jesus. It's going to be great. I would imagine they're like, man, we're going to give Jesus the best cruise across the sea he's ever had. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. They knew, man, the moment they started getting out there, they knew when that weather began to change, they knew something was shifting, something was changing. I don't know if you've ever been on the ocean when a storm is coming in, but you see that thing coming from a long way off. Or maybe if you're from Texas, man, you've spent many, many springs here. When those thunderstorms begin to roll in and all of a sudden the temperature drops and you just know, ooh, something's about to happen, right? Then all of a sudden the sky turns gray and you said, oh yeah, there it is, right? And then the the, the clouds begin to churn and they begin to make a gray milkshake of death and torment, right? And you just know, it's like, oh, it's about to happen, right? And then all of a sudden you go inside and the news says tornado warning and you open the door and you say, where? And you're looking for it. If you're a good Texan, you got to identify the tornado. You got to figure it out. You got to see it because I'm not going to get in my bathtub for no reason. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not going to be sitting there like a fool. Heck no, man. If I see the tornado, once I made visual confirmation, then I will go inside and I will seek shelter. But until visual confirmation has been made, no sir, right? And so much so, if the, the news keeps breaking in every five minutes, you know what I'm saying? So I'm changing the channel. I'm watching Netflix, right? Ha ha, give me now news, right? And so I'm watching Netflix. 
And so, man, we get into these positions, man, the disciples were there. Everything had changed. The barometric pressure had dropped, right? And so, man, they're, they're probably, Peter's probably saying, drop the main sail, <laughs> right? And they're doing what they can because they know something's about to happen. Man, the weather, the, the, the temperature dropped. Like, hey, bro, that's not good. All of a sudden, man, they see the, 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 the lightning across, lighting up the clouds across the sea from them. Hey, that's not good, man. I don't know about that. That's not good. That, that's something that's coming. All of a sudden, man, the waves begin to get a little choppier than before. Hey, man, look, this is getting serious. Maybe we should go let Jesus know. Hey, Jesus, look, man, I don't want you to be alarmed or anything like that. We got everything under control. But uh, it's raining. You know what I'm saying? It's like, just want to let you know. Jesus fully got fully man, fully aware of what's going on. And they let Jesus sleep in the bottom of the boat. Then we finally got to a spot where they had done everything they could. They relied on what they knew. They did everything they could to get themselves in, out of the situation on their own strength. Then when it gets to the spot where they can no longer handle it, they go wake up Jesus. And they don't tell him, hey, Jesus, hey, Je Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. You know, I was like, Jesus. I would be really scared to wake the son of man in a violent way. You know what I'm saying? He might accidentally, right? And then I'm in a turtle or something. I don't know, man. I was like, there you are. But Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Jesus, Jesus. Hey, don't be alarmed. But there's water coming in the boat. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but we're thinking, it's okay. You can maybe walk on water and get us all out of here, carry us out one by one, but we need to hurry. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they wake him up. They don't wake him up like that. They wake up and say, Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? And Jesus is like, what? What's going on, man? What do you mean, don't you care if we drown? What do you mean, don't you care if, if we drown? I would imagine his, his thinking was, yeah, I care if we drown. I didn't put my entire future of the church in one boat only to sink it at the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely, I care what's going on. Absolutely, I care. We, we, I think, a lot of times get to the position where we handle it in our own strength. We do what we can. The Lord's saying, I've been in with the boat with you the whole time, bro. What are you doing, man? They should have called and brought him in the moment everything began to change. And they come in and they blame Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? Where you been? How many times have you been in your life where you said, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care that my wife's acting like this? Don't you care that my kids are like that? Don't you care that my job's this way? Don't you care my marriage is this way? Don't you care? And the Lord's saying, it. yeah, bro, 100%, absolutely. And what Jesus does in that moment, I think it's incredible. He doesn't first address the disciples. Jesus first addresses the situation. He comes in and he calms the waves and he tells the winds to cease. And after he does that, come here, boys, we're gonna handle some business now. And he comes in. He says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Because faith and fear cannot exist together. They can't exist together. And so they forgot what they had. Why? Because they started depending on themselves. If they would have come in and said, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Temperature dropped 15 degrees. I need you right here, right now. All right. I adjusted it. Jesus, the waves are getting big. Lord, do something about it. They come in and he does it, but they waited until the last moment when they thought, I can't handle this anymore. This thing's gotten so big. This thing's gotten to a spot where it can no longer, I can't handle it. And then they come in and they're mad at Jesus. They're mad at him saying, Lord, where are you? Don't you care if we drown? Man, we've all been in that situation, that scenario but we know it's the small foxes that spoil the vines. Jesus was with them the entire time. Jesus was with them the whole time. 
just as he's with you, just as he's with you. Come on, I mean, there's moments and things that we face. We say, Lord, don't you care? And he's saying, absolutely, man, but I'm not going to impose myself on a situation I hadn't yet been invited to. Jesus could have gotten out of the boat and said, hey, look, guys, I can't sleep. Shut that off. Go back down and take a nap. But Jesus said, hey, bro, look, man, I can fix this situation, but I'm waiting on an invitation from you. Come on, play will not stop in the NFL until they first see a flag. They'll keep going, man. They will not stop. They throw that flag, everything stops. What happens when they throw the flag? They bring everybody in. They all confer and they say, what did you see? What did you see? What's the plan of action? That's the same thing. When we throw that flag, we say, Jesus, I need you right here, right now. Come on, you invoke all heaven and earth, man. You bring your small group leader into these things, dude. There's, a, there's wise counsel and a multitude of people. Come on, you bring those people in. He say, what's the call? What's the play? What do we need to be doing right here, right now? And the Lord begins to come in. He addresses the situation. And then he begins to fix us. A lot of times I think we're scared to bring Jesus in because we think the first thing he's going to do is he's going to get onto us. We think he's going to be so mad at us. What are you doing, bro? Why'd you get yourself here? Why are you so dirty? We think he's going to have that conversation with us from the very beginning. When he's first going to come in and say, all right, bro, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's fix this thing real quick. And then me and you about to have a conversation. Start cleaning up. Let's go. And then he has a conversation with him. What are you doing, bro? What's going on, man? Where did we miss this? What happened here? That's three things I want you guys writing down. on protecting our destiny. I believe, as I said, our job is very similar to what we see in the NFL as a referee, man. Maintain godly order and ensure protection. Maintain godly order of the calling and the purpose and the destinies on our lives. Come on, we have to maintain that order. Spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, small group, all of those things. And then we got to protect those things from the small foxes that spoil those vines. The first thing that you have to do protecting your destiny is don't be passive. Don't be passive. You cannot be passive. We see most of the calls in the NFL are just small, little things, man, holding, whatever, man, small, small things. We can go without that. Yeah, that's fine. Make the game go a little bit faster. But they understand that that right there is one of the checks that keeps the game in order. You guys may or may not know this about me, but I'm huge on my yard. I I love having a really good looking yard, man. I don't know. My dad ingrained it in me. He's like, you got to have a great looking yard. And so for years, man, my yard looked so bad. It was terrible. I would, I would be so scared to invite my dad over because he'd be like, that looks bad, right? And so I would be like, why do I still want your approval? I don't care. I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? My yard can look how I want my yard to look, right? That's my artistic expression of what my yard would look like, right? And so, so he would come over and be like, it looks so bad. But I would tell Myrna, I was like, Myrna, it's horrible. It's terrible. Man, I'd fertilize it. I'd water it. I would fertilize it some more. And then I started getting into these, into these things where I was reading articles about, about yards and plants. And I, I read in this one article that people that name their plants and speak life over them, right, their plant grows more. And they, they did an experiment. They named the plant Bill. You know what I'm saying, right? And they told me, Bill, you're so beautiful, man. Like, you're awesome. And then they named the other, you know, plant Frank. You know, I don't know. And then, Frank, you're a terrible plant. Frank, what is wrong with you, right? And they showed one plant grew and flourished, Bill, and Frank was just dead to the world, right? And so I was reading that. I was like, man, maybe, just maybe, name my yard. And so I was like, I'm going to name it. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm tired of my dad looking down on me about my grass, right? So I was like, I'm going to name my yard. And so I named him. I named him Lawson, right? And so, 
Murder make fun of me. Maybe she'd be like, why you go spend time with Lawson? I was like, you're always outside with your new friend, Lawson. I was like, how about you leave me alone? You know, it's like, I'm improving our property value. You know, it's like, leave me alone, woman. Throwing so much shade at me. Well, get out here and help me take care of him, you know? And so, so I get out there and, and I, I kid you not, I'd, I'd be cutting the grass, but Lawson, you're so amazing. Lawson, you could be, I'm not even joking. You're going to be the best yard on the block, Lawson. Oh, my God, Lawson, you're so good looking, Lawson. Look at them ugly weeds. You're going to pick them out. Yes, Lawson. And I began to do it. It didn't work all that well, but I didn't give up. I didn't give up, man. I, I pray, I'm, I'm not even joking. I'd pray over that thing. Finally, I got it to a spot where people were laughing too hard and be praying over my grass. I, I got to a spot where it was looking good. And I was like, yeah, I'm a little proud of that. That's, that's looking a lot better. All right, man, this is getting better on track. And then one winter, man, we're pulling up, and Myrna's like, oh, look, there's some weeds over there. And I was like, man, look, I ain't, it's wintertime. I ain't trying to cut the grass right now. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no way, Myrna. And she's like, okay. Little did I know those weeds had plans, right? Those weeds had plans on establishing a kingdom in my yard, right? <laughs> the whole time it was wintertime, they were getting busy, right? And so... They were planting seeds all over the place. And the moment that the temperature rose above 70 degrees, they exploded on me. And I was like, oh my gosh, Myrna, lost in. You know, I was like, no. And it got to a spot where I was like, it's too overwhelming. I can't pick it. I would pick all the weeds by hand. You know, there's some that just, the little spray doesn't kill and you got to go remove them all by hand. My hands got bloody. And she's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, Lawson. He's like, he's ours. What are you talking about? What's wrong with me? Do you neglect your kids? No, he's one of ours. And so I, I, my hands would be bloody from picking weeds. And I looked at him, so defeated. So defeated because there's so many weeds. There's no, like I got outside and I was like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. I'm picking weeds and I'd be out there for a couple of hours. So I'm like, dinner's ready. Come on, let's go inside. And I look at it. I was like, oh, I got a lot done. And I look at it and I was like, I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing. Lawson, I failed you, right? And so, but it all because. I was passive. If I would have just done it in the wintertime when I really didn't want to, if I would have just gone out there and done it really when, when it was manageable, then it would have been okay. But because I was passive with it, it ended up growing into a problem that I couldn't myself handle all alone. It ended up growing into something. Man, I challenge you. Man, there's things in our lives that we are passive about. There's certain spiritual disciplines that we've gotten away from. We think we've either outgrown them spiritually, we've outmatured them. That's no longer anything that pulls at me. Let me tell you something. I guarantee those things will still pull at you. They say an alcoholic, no matter how, how sober they are, is always an alcoholic. It's one drink away from being an alcoholic again. Let me tell you something. you got to grow past these things. We, got, we can't be passive about this. When we start seeing things creep in, we can't be passive about it. Man, we got to take those things. We got to subdue those things and say, no, 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 no. What I have is too precious. The calling, the purpose, and the destinies of God on my life are too precious to allow that thing to grow, to allow that thing to germinate. I'm going to remove it right now. The second thing we got to do is this right here, is you have to know your role. You have to know your role. This is what it says in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You have to understand your role. As the referees clearly understand when they walk out there, I mean, when they walk out there, they know their role is to maintain order and ensure safety. They know what their role is. They walk with full confidence of that. Come on, they're surrounded by men who are wearing helmets, pads, you know, leg pads, cleats, all of these things. And all the NFL refs are armed with is a striped shirt, a hat, a whistle, and a flag. That's it. 
That's all they've got to defend themselves. Third flag, right? You know, blood was a boop, boop, stay away from me. That's all they've got. That's all they have. I started looking at some of the injuries that we've seen in the, for two, uh, two NFL refs. If they've ever really been injured. And there was one in 2015 where the guy was, was hit from behind. He ended up breaking his collarbone, nine ribs, and had a collapsed lung. These dudes just fell on him. These giant men. They understand their role. They understand that when they walk out there, they are the authority. There's been times I would imagine in our lives where we weren't quite sure what our role was. We've been a little insecure of what we need to be doing and the calls we need to be making. Let me tell you something, man. Your role is to maintain godly order of your life to ensure the protection of the destiny that God has placed upon you. That is your role. That is you are a steward of what the Lord has given you. When Myrna and I were missionaries, we would, we would travel four, six weeks at a time. Then we'd be back in the States for, for six to eight weeks or whatever, and we'd travel back and forth. So I had to find a job that kind of fit what we were doing to supplement our income. We were raising funds, but we had to find a job to, to kind of fit in between there. And I ended up getting one of the most dangerous jobs I've ever had in my entire life. It was, it was week in and week out. It was a risky, risky job for us. And that was, I was a substitute teacher for an elementary school, right? <laughs> Boy, let me tell you something, man. They're terrifying, right? And like one I can handle, but like a group of them, they create like a pack of wolves, man. And there's always like, a, there's like an alpha leading it all, right? And the crazy thing is, is when you come in as a substitute, you're never the teacher. You never teach. What are you? Sub, right? And, and depending on where you're at, man, some of these kids are pretty hardcore, man. I was like, oh, my God, do you have a shiv? You know, it's like, did you just shake him? It's like, what are you doing, man? It's like, what's happening here? But I'll never forget my first time walking into the classroom. It was for kindergartners. You, dude, 25 five-year-olds is terrifying, man. They're so scary. And so you walked in there, and somebody's like, testify. Yes, sir, man, it's terrifying. And I walked in there, and I walked in. They all looked at me and said, you're not our teacher. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. You're right. I'm definitely not. I walked out and I was like, what am I doing? I gave myself a pep talk. I said, you're the teacher. You're the teacher. You're the teacher. You're the teacher. I walked back in with confidence. I'm the teacher today. And look, kids, no, you're not. I said, sit down. Right? It's like, man, I ruled an iron fist in this classroom. Right? So I was like, oh my gosh. But you'd come in and you'd have to know what your role was. You have to come in. You have to search yourself saying, man, look, I'm walking in confidence. I know exactly what my role is. I know exactly what I need to be doing right now. And that is make sure you do your work right now. Like I wasn't going to tell the story, but I'll tell it to you guys anyways because I like y'all, right? There was, I'm just going to be honest with myself, so don't judge me or whatever. So I'm, 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 I'm substituting in a, in a third grade class. And there was this kid who was a lot like me, had been promoted to sit next to the teacher, right? Away from all the other students. I don't know if you know anybody like that. It's not really a promotion, right? And so you're not like second teacher or teacher assistant or an executive teacher. You're just a kid that needs to be, you know, controlled by the teacher a little more closely, right? And so he was that kid who's sitting right by the teacher's desk. I walk in and we're doing, the, you know, the class or whatever. And, and we're watching a video. And everybody loves the video. Yay! I love the video because I don't have to do anything. So I'm sitting there watching him. And, uh, and, and this kid, at the end of it all, we were going to go to PE. We are going to go to the next thing, whatever it was. And he said, I got to go TT. And I was like, bro, you had all of the video to go to the restroom. No, sir. I'm lining you up. I got to get you out the door because my break starts right now. Hurry up and go, right? And so I start lining everybody up. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. He was the last kid. I was like, all right, dude, let's go. Come on. He's like, mm-mm. I was like, uh-uh. I know my role now, right? And so I was like, I am the teacher. Get up. Let's go. And he's like, mm-mm. Bro, get up. He's like, no. So I walked over to him. I said, I got now. Get up. Right? I was like, I didn't know how else to motivate him. You know what I'm saying? I was like, get up. Right? And he's like, mm-mm. And he pushes himself back out of his desk. And he looks down. I was like, 
bro, you peed yourself. I was like, you TT'd in your pants. He's like, I know. And I was like, oh, I felt so bad. I was like, dude, you, I felt horrible. I said, look, dude, this is what you're going to do, man. It's me and you. Me and you right here. Come, me and you. I said, tie your jacket around your waist. He said, okay, okay, right? I said, you're going to run to the nurse's office. We're not supposed to run in the hallways. I was like, dude, I don't care. What am I? He said, substitute. I said, no, sir, I'm the teacher, right? I knew my role, man. I said, you run and you don't stop till you get to the nurse's office. He said, okay. He took off running. Everybody's like, where's so-and-so going? I said, he had a problem. He'll be back. He came back in sweats, right? They took him out, came back in sweats, and everybody for the whole day was like, TT pants, TT pants. They made fun of him, right? Moral of the story is, raise your hand twice if you really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Don't assume the substitute teacher knows your bathroom habits, right? So, the third thing is this right here, protecting our destiny, is it's never too late to throw the flag. It's never too late to throw the flag. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter where you've gone. It's never too late to throw that flag in. Say, Jesus, I need you right here. God, I need you right now. It's never too late. We see this right here in Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite scriptures, starting in verse 38. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that you can do that discounts you from the love of God. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from his grasp and the power of what he can do. There's nothing in your life that can separate you from those things. Come on, I mean, there are physical consequences that we have to suffer for our actions. But to separate us from eternal life, a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing that exists that can separate us from that. It's never too late to say, Jesus, I need you, man. Jesus, I need you right now. I'm throwing in this flag, Lord. I need you right here, right now. God, I need you more than ever, Lord Jesus. And guess what, man? He doesn't come in and come and tell you, you sinner, you pagan, what are you doing? How, why are you here? He comes in, and he addresses the situation. And he comes in and says, why are you so afraid? Come on, man, why are you so afraid? I'm right here, bro. I'm right here with you. In high school, there was this guy that we knew that was a drug user. And you all know the drug users, the potheads. And we also knew that this guy could get you whatever you needed to. He can get you whatever you wanted. And so in high school, I, I didn't really like him. I wasn't friends at all. He graduated. I forgot his name. Didn't even know who he was. Forgot he even existed. He even was alive. About 10 years later, I'm at a, I'm at a friend's church, and we're, we're getting something ready for, for their church. I'm helping them out with something. And in walks this familiar face. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know you. Like, how do I know you? And he walked in. And he says, Jonathan? I said, yeah, man. He said, I'm so-and-so. Remember me? And I was like, my gosh, bro, I hadn't seen you in forever. Yes, how have you been? He began to tell me. He said, dude, it's been, it's been a crazy 10 years, man. He says, I'm, I'm good right now. He said, but it wasn't always this way. He said, right out of high school, you said, you know, I was a drug user. I said, absolutely. He said, we all knew you were a drug user. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you just know that guy. I was like, that's a butthead. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, you just knew it, man. He said, yeah, we all knew. He says, yeah, man. Since a couple years out of high school, I got busted on small stuff, man. He said, I ended up getting tangled up with these guys that were making meth. I said, what? I was like, dude, that's crazy. 
He said, yeah, man, we were running our operation out of Wilmer Hutchins, out of a mobile home park in Wilmer Hutchins area. And I was like, what? That's crazy, man. He said, yeah, man, we, we were making so much money. He says, dude, it was, it was unreal. He says, how much money we were making. He said, one night, man, we're sitting there, we're hanging out. We just finished what we were doing. And all of a sudden, the door gets busted in on the trailer, man. He says, I ran out the back. And a couple of buddies of mine, they got in a truck. And I jumped in the bed of the truck. And we took off fleeing from the cops. He says, we hit a gravel road, man, and, and my, my buddies lost control, and they wrecked it out into a ditch. He says, as I was in the bed of the truck, man, I hit my leg on the wheel well, man. I couldn't run. I tried to get out and run. He says, and the cops caught me. He said, they convicted me, man. I ended up doing seven years in jail. I was like, are you kidding, man? He's like, no, dude, it was, it was nuts. He said, in jail. He says, I, I started getting around the same guys that I had always been with. He said, you probably don't know this about me, man, but I was raised in church. He said, my parents would go to church. He said, I hated the church, man. I wanted nothing to do with it. He said, so there was a couple guys that were inviting me to like a little Bible study thing they had going on there on Sundays or whatever. And he said, I never wanted to go. He said, I never wanted to go. He said, but I was sitting there in my cell one day, man, and I just began to think, Lord, if you're real, like if you're real, then can you change me? And he said, man, I started hanging around these guys, going to the, to, to the, to the Sunday service that they were having or whatever. He says, God changed my life. He says, he didn't change my sentence. I did every bit of time that I had to do. He didn't change the fact that I was a convicted felon when I came out of prison. But God changed my heart and my life, man. He changed it. He said, I ended up getting a job with a construction worker, uh, with a construction company, swinging a hammer. He said, that's all I did, man. I was at the bottom of the totem pole, swinging a hammer. He said, the owner of the company found favor in me and began to mentor me. So I began to lead jobs. He says, I, I was the foreman on the job, began to lead jobs. He said, then, then the, the contractor came to me and said, hey, man, let me show you how to launch your own business. He says, and that's what I'm actually what I'm doing for your buddy's church. He says, I'm the general contractor remodeling his entire facility. He said, I've owned my own business now for three years. He said, when I first got out of, out of jail, he said, it was so hard when I'd see my paycheck at the end of the week. And he'd be like, I can make this in one night, and I'm working 40 hours to make this thing happen. He said, but I stayed with him, man. He said, I knew if I invited the Lord in my life that he would change everything about me. And let me tell you something, man, that guy's a successful businessman, owns multiple construction crews, doing great financially, man. But all because he said, Lord Jesus, I need you here. I need you now. He understood the fact that it didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter what he had gone. It didn't matter what he had done it to. Man, that the Lord could save him in the moment if he would just surrender and say, hey, look, Lord, look, man, I'm throwing in the flag. Jesus, I need you now.